There's a uh, crazy story in the Old Testament about David, King David, when he takes over for uh, Saul and he's going to become the, the new king. He gets his advisors together and he says, what's the first thing I should do? What should we make happen? And they all say, you know what? The Ark of the Covenant has been gone. I need you or we need you to go get it. The Ark of the Covenant was this central piece of furniture in the worship in the life of worship of Israel, and it had been gone. Some 20 years earlier, they decided to take this, this piece of furniture that represented the presence of God, that once a year God would come down and sit on it, and they would make sacrifice and find atonement. They decided to treat it like a genie in a bottle, and one time they were out at war against the Philistines, and they said, hey, bring the ark. And let's rub its side and maybe God will pop out and grant us three wishes. And God says, that's not the way that I work. And they ended up losing the war and the ark was captured by the Philistines. It didn't stay with them long because as soon as they got it, some crazy stuff started happening. Their God started falling down, hands breaking off, and they were like, let's get this box out of here. They ship it up the road. It goes to a few people. They decide to pop the lid on it, look inside. 70 people die. That didn't go over so well. And then they decide to send it up the road, and it ends up at a house of a guy named Abinadab, and it sits there for 20 years. And David decides it's time to go get it. This is the central piece of our worship of the God who loves us and, and called us and made us this precious nation, and we're going to go get it. And he goes, and the first time he does it, it doesn't go so well. Matter of fact, it's kind of willy-nilly when he does it and, and shooting from the hip, and they don't follow the right rules and procedures, and some guy ends up touching it and dies. And so David says, just leave it alone. How is the ark ever going to get home and then he finds out that blessing is happening at the house that it's at, and he says, let's go get it. And I want you to listen to these words in 2 Samuel chapter 6. They'll be on the screen. It says, it was reported to King David, the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's family and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and had the ark of God brought up from Obed-Edom's house to the city of David with rejoicing. They were singing songs. They were praising God. He says in verse 13, when those carrying the ark of the Lord advanced six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fatted calf. Last time we didn't make it very far. Some guy died. We made it six steps. Everybody's safe. Let's go, right? This is great news. Fantastic. Verse 14, David was dancing with all of his might before the Lord, wearing a linen ephod. I guarantee you that was a, a great dance. I don't know what that looked like, but he was doing it. It says, he and the whole house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of a ram's horn. And as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Saul's daughter, Saul, the king before David, is... His daughter, Michael, who is also David's wife, looked down from the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. There's a lot of background here and a lot of family issues that I don't have time to deal with, and it's really not the main point of the story, but she sees this celebration and she's not happy. 
skip down a few verses. It says this, verse 20. When David returned home to bless his household, Saul's daughter Michael came out to meet him. Quotes, how the king of Israel honored himself today. Welcome home. All that dancing, all that shouting, all of that horn blowing, you just honored yourself. That wasn't for God. That wasn't for his glory. That wasn't in celebration for what he has done. That wasn't in in some honor to say, we're trying to put you back at the center of Israel and, and our worship. It was just, oh, you honored yourself today. He exposed himself today in the sight of the slave girls and the subjects like a vulgar person would expose himself. I mean, like saying, you, you went too far. Too far. Verse 21, David replied to Michael, I was dancing before the Lord. I wasn't dancing for people to look at me. I wasn't dancing for people to honor me. I wasn't dancing for people to, to see what I have done and what I have accomplished. I was dancing before the Lord. And then he says, the Lord who chose me over your father and his whole family to appoint me ruler over the Lord and his people. I will celebrate before the Lord and I'll humble myself even more and humiliate myself. So he looks at it and says, here's the real issue. You don't like me because I'm king and your daddy's not. But Michael raises an important question this morning, really important question. And in that question, whether or not her cynicism and all the family history and all the junk that came with it is there, it still is a fair question to ask. You ready? Why do we do what we do when it comes to our worship and piety and religious practices before the Lord? Why do we do them? Why do we worship? Why do we pray? Why do we fast? Why do we serve? Why do we do small groups? Why are we generous? Why do we do these things? What is the heart behind them? And are they there to honor ourselves or to seek approval from people? Or are we doing this for God's glory and his honor? That's the question before us. And Jesus is going to talk about that in the Sermon on the Mount as we continue in this series. So let's take a look at it there. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is going to address this because clearly this idea of how I respond to God through acts of worship, through religious acts, has to be done with the right motive and the right heart. This is continuing the theme that he's been talking about now for multiple chapters. Remember when he said, you've heard it said not to murder, but I say if you hate someone in your heart, uh, you've heard it said not to commit adultery, but I tell you if you have lusted, he's not just talking about our external behavior. Jesus wants us to focus on our internal demeanor, our internal heart, our our internal disposition toward people and toward God. And just because we do religious acts doesn't mean that they are done the right way. Let's look at it in verse 1, chapter 6. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people to be seen by them, to be 
looked at so that other people will see you do it. That word seen is like, that's the audience. Be careful not to do that. Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. The audience is the Father, not people. And if you do it for people, then there's no reward. I want to talk about structure just for a moment, and then I want to begin to work out the rest of the text. Chapter 6, verse 1, is actually an introduction to the next 17 verses in the Sermon on the Mount. This is what he's fixing to do. He's going to say, we need to make sure that when we do our religious acts, and he's going to give three examples, generosity, prayer, and fasting. When we do those, we should do those only for God and his honor, not for people to applaud us and to think we've done something special. It should be done with the right motive and intent. He's going to give the structure very clearly. Look at it in verse 2. So, whenever you give to the poor, that's generosity. That's the observance. Whenever you do that, whenever you give to the poor, he says, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. That's the prohibition. Here's what you do. You give. Don't do it for people to see you. And then he is going to say, here's your reward. For I assure you, they've got their reward right there from the people that are watching. Then he's also going to say, this is how you should do it. And you want a heavenly reward. Let me show it to you again in verse 5. It's not going to be on the screen, but if you've got your Bibles, look at it in verse 5. Whenever you pray, there's the observance. You must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. That's the prohibition. Then he says, I assure you they have their reward. Same thing, does it again. And then look at verse 16 one more time. Whenever you fast, there's the observance. Don't be sad faced like the hypocrites for they make their faces unattractive so that fasting is obvious to people. There's the prohibition. And then finally, I assure you, they've got their reward. Very clear. Matthew is recording this so that we know we should not be doing this for the applause of man. Fill in the blanks here, right? Fill in the blanks. Serving. Communion. Um, coming to a worship service. You name it, we don't do this for other people to look at us and to applaud us. We do this to foster our relationship and our fellowship and our communion with God. That's why we do this. So that's the structure. That's the, the part of it that he's, he's, he's wanting us to see over and over and over again. Now I want to read all four verses and highlight a few things as we go through it. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Verse 2. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. I assure you they've got their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that, when, so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. He said, this is how you're supposed to do it, and there is clearly some reward in the future. 
Let me point out a few things as I read through this passage and then try to get to some application. The first one is this. Generosity is assumed in the passage. Do you see that? It is absolutely assumed in the passage. He says it twice. When you give to the poor. When you give to the poor. Says it twice. It's not if you give to the poor. You know, hey, at some point in your life when you reach a financial place where you can give to other people, then this is how you do it. He doesn't say, hey, when you're manipulated and you feel guilty and you finally give something to somebody. He just says what? When you give to the poor. Generosity is assumed. Now, when we're reading the book of Matthew, we need to know that the audience is a Jewish audience, and they would have been very well versed on the fact that the nation of Israel was supposed to take big-time responsibility for the vulnerable, for those who can't provide. Matter of fact, I'll just read you one verse. I don't have time to give them all to you, but Deuteronomy 15.11 says this. He says, for there will never cease to be poor people in the land. That is why I'm commanding you. You must willingly open your hand to your afflicted and poor brother in your land. Willingly open it. There are going to be the poor there and you must be generous. There are verses that, that say in the law, um, when you're gleaning, in, when, when you're harvesting your field, don't harvest all the corners and the edges. That way the vulnerable, the widow, the orphan, the poor, the immigrant can come in and take some of that leftover and be provided for. They say, hey, when you're picking grapes off of your, your grapevine, don't pick them all. Leave some on there so that the vulnerable can come in and provide for themselves you don't have to have every little bit there is this idea that we would be generous people but the deal is that we would be generous not so people would make much of us we would be generous so that God would be glorified so that he would be honored um let me, let me just talk about generosity and radius just for a moment because I think it would be really silly of me not to talk about that uh, because I think it's probably one of the main reasons or one of the better ways that radius is known in the community. Um, I got to be a part of Radius or get to know Radius for the first time. I think it was about eight, eight and a half years ago. Chris Seabee, you're driving me around town. You were running the joint around here. And and then I'm thinking about what does it look like to possibly come and be a part of, of Radius. And I'm just overwhelmed with the stories of generosity. I was overwhelmed with, with the idea that here at Radius, we want to give away 30%. So every, every 10 bucks you put in a black box or give online, there's this commitment by Radius leadership to say, hey, $3 of that is going to go out the door. I was just overwhelmed by that. I was overwhelmed by the fact that we would do this thing called Give Hope. And we would raise hundreds of thousands of dollars and we would put it in the hands of administrators. We would put it in the hands of teachers and counselors so that they could meet needs. I was overwhelmed by this idea that corporately, Radius would be all about generosity. 
was overwhelmed by it. And then coming on staff, what overwhelmed me even more is not just the fact that Radius wants to be corporately known for being generous. I mean, that is in our mission statement, right? We exist to glorify God by planting churches, making disciples, and living generously. What's crazy is, is that that's not just something we do corporately. It's something that I've watched Radius partners for the last five plus years do really well. I, I, I mean, when I hear stories of small groups getting together and saying, hey, let's put some money together to help somebody move who's in a rough situation, and not only do they get the truck and put gas in it, but they show up and actually help them move, like that's generosity, isn't it? I'm not helping people move just on a whim, right? I mean, come on, that's, so, that's miserable, and so that's generosity doing that. When I hear of, of people who have, who have come alongside others, like I, I don't know how many cars have been given away here through our multiple locations. I, I don't know how much of that is taking place. It's a ton. When I, I, I tell you one of my favorites is in the middle of COVID, there was a Christmas tree right back there in September or August. And we sat back and said, hey, there are nurses in our school district that are getting pounded by having to do contact tracing and give the note that, hey, your kid's quarantined for the next however many days. And our nurses were run ragged. And we, you guys went out there and got names off of that tree and, and just blessed the socks off of those nurses. I just sat back and thought, man, and, and the stories go on. The generosity goes on and on and on. That is who we want to be. We want to be people that are generous and not just corporately. The expectation is that we would do this individually as well. But to do it in a way that, that, honors, that honors God. Another thing is I'm, I'm looking at it. I was thinking about the language on the website. Just, this is just from Radius talking about generosity. Let me, let me read it to you. This is something we have there. It says, we don't give with a bunch of fanfare. We share and exercise generosity not for public relations, but in order to share the good news of Jesus. That, that sound anything like the passage that we're... I mean, like, we're... this. I mean, listen, we're not perfect. We're, we're a bunch of sinners on staff. Like, this isn't a perfect deal, but when I'm looking at it, I'm like, I, I think we're trying at least to do this, Right? And we are sowing seeds of generosity, not for immediate gratification, but as investments in eternity. I'm going to talk about investments in eternity here in just a moment. This idea that we want to be generous, and we want to be generous, we want to be generous to earn the right to tell people about the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. Right? Um, and let me, let me be clear. Generosity is not just what you have in your wallet or your checkbook. When I hear stories of, of stay-at-home moms who give an hour of their week to go make copies for teachers at an elementary school, that's generosity. When I think about people who are making cookies and delivering it to their neighbors, that's generosity. When I think about people giving time to love others who are in a ditch, that's generosity. That's who we want to be, right? Earning the right to talk about Jesus. Uh, generosity clearly is in the passage. There's something else in the passage. Um, he says this, verse 2, he says, As the 
hypocrites do in the synagogues. Don't sound the trumpets as the hypocrites do. Now, hypocrisy is an interesting thing here. It's going to be mentioned both with all three, prayer and fasting and generosity. He's going to talk about not doing it in a hypocritical fashion. The interesting thing is Jesus redefines hypocrisy for us. When I say hypocrisy, most of us think, I claim to be a Christian, but I don't act like a Christian. I claim to be something with my mouth, but my words don't, or my life doesn't back it up. Actually, the way Jesus defines hypocrisy, it's this way. He says, you do religious things, your heart doesn't line up. You do things that make it look like you're a Christian. You do things that make it look like you're uh, with God and wanting to be a part of the kingdom and with Jesus and embracing his values. You are doing those things. The problem is you're doing it with the wrong motive. You're doing it to say, look at me. It's all about me. Please, someone applaud me. Somebody give me some kudos. Somebody just give me a little approval. Right? So the hypocrisy just went completely different because some of us are like, man, I'm doing it all right. The question is, do you have the right heart with it? And he just completely flipped the definition for us, didn't he? And can we just pause right here just for a moment and just talk about the fact that we're all approval junkies on this deal? Like we're all approval junkies? We, we want people to approve us. We want people to applaud us. We want to be congratulated. We want the thumbs up and the heart and the... Right? And if you don't get it, what do we do? Try harder next time? Be more pithy and make my picture just a tad better? Man, we're... Man, our hearts are wicked. Can you imagine? Can you imagine trying to do something like being generous, but just to do it so somebody would say, attaboy? Or praying so that someone would say, wow, what a beautiful prayer. Or to fast to say, man, you're so spiritual. And can we just all be honest? That's all of us. It's all of us. It's intoxicating, isn't it? Why we just keep wanting it? So hypocrisy's here. It's a, it's a crazy word. Um, this is one of my favorite. I actually wanted to do the whole sermon on this, but it wouldn't be the point of the passage, so I decided not to. But, um, so I try to preach what the text is, but this is really good. You ready? Three times, three times, rewards, rewards, rewards. You will have no reward, verse 1, Then he says, I assure you, they got their reward. All the people applauding and saying, ooh, look how generous they are. And then finally, he sees you in secret in verse 4 and will reward you. Rewards in the Sermon on the Mount are all over the place. It's mentioned a ton. I don't know about you, but I want to know about what those are. Is anybody else with me? Like, that's exciting to me. Like, reward, like there's some investment. Matter of fact, the word reward and treasure 
in the New Testament, specifically in Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount, are highly tied together. This idea that we would be making an investment in the future, that language that I just read to you. Matter of fact, in, in, later on in Matthew 6, 19, he's going to say these words that we've probably all heard in some way, shape, or form. He says, do not build up for yourselves treasures on earth where rust and moth destroy or where thieves come in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in where? In heaven where no rust, no moth, and no thief can come in and steal for where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be, right? Man, he's talking about it. I want to know what it is. So I'm just going to give you one verse. I don't have time to get into all of it, but man, I just couldn't leave it alone. Um, 1 Corinthians 9. You ready? 1 Corinthians 9 says this, verse 24. It's not on the screen. Just, just listen. It's super simple. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything, however, they do it to receive a crown that will fade away. But we, a crown that will never fade away. Right? I mean, we don't do crowns nowadays, do we? You run a race, what do you get? You get one of these big old rascals, right? Um. Adam Diamond down here. I don't know if you knew this, but uh, Adam is a legendary Dixie youth coach. 41-0. and 0, Y'all give it up for uh, Coach Adam here. Wow. My boys happen to play on his team, and when you win on the weekend, you get some of this right here, right? I'm going to tell you right now, I don't know if this is what it's going to look like or not. Sign me up, though, right? Sign me up. I don't want to go empty-handed. I don't want to go when all the elders start throwing their crowns on the ground, singing holy, 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 and have nothing to offer. I can't wait to take it all off right here and say, it's yours. It was done for you. I don't want to be empty-handed. And it'll be empty-handed if it's all for me. Because it's not that God's opposed to a double reward. It's just that He's opposed to when you get your reward down here that's earthly and flimsy and fading and fickle. And the reward from Jesus Christ will be eternal. It'll be eternal. What a motivation. Man, I... Can I just, I just want to need to pause there just a minute. We have a wondrous hope. We have a wondrous hope. And we don't serve down here altruistically like I'm, it's never about me and I can't, listen man, no. We serve because Jesus Christ is preparing a place for us. And He is going to return. And He is going to bring us home. And there is going to be this amazing reward. And I don't know if it's all of this literally, but I do know this, man. There's going to be a beautiful reward being with Him forever. And I want to be there unashamed completely. Right? Uh, last but not least, um, go back to Matthew. Secret. 
Last word here is secret. Verse 3, But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing um, so that your giving may be in secret. We've heard this before. Matter of fact, it's so common phrase now that it's now an idiom in English. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Um, This is what happens when we get into passages like this. What happens is we get here and we focus on a couple of things. We focus on the hypocrisy and then we focus on the secrecy. And when you focus on one or two of those extremes, guess what you're missing? The generosity and doing it right. So um, when you read this and say, gosh, no one should ever know what I give. I'm only going to give cash to the church. I don't want anyone to know. I can't, no one can see it. If my name's attached to it, then it's over. Listen, this is hyperbolic language. Remember, Jesus has been talking about this. He's been talking about this hyperbole throughout. Cut off your hand, gouge out your eye. He's also going to say the same thing about prayer. Go into your closet and pray so no one sees you. Man, I'm, I'm busted because I pray with people all the time. Right? You see how this works? The secrecy is not the point. The secrecy is a tool to help us check our heart if we're wanting applause or not. The secrecy is not the end goal. Generosity with a pure heart is the end goal. Prayer with a pure heart is the end goal. Fasting with a pure heart is the end goal. Serving with a pure heart is the end goal. Coming to worship with a pure heart is the end goal. Not, I did it secretly. Because then guess what you're doing again? You're just bragging that you did it secretly. Congratulations. There's another reward. It's important. It's really important. But there are times when we need to recognize, am I more focused on the heart of this or am I just focused on one end or the other? One end or the other. Say, Russell, that's great. I need some application. And not only that, but I'm a little confused. Because not too long ago, John Reeves stood right up here and he had this table in front of him. And he had a bowl. And in that bowl, there were some candles. And not only that, he had, a, he had a, a basket and he lit those candles and he read that passage out of Matthew 5 that says, let your light shine before men. And if you hide it under a basket, that's no good. And some of you are hit, sitting here thinking, I thought we're supposed to let our light shine and here you are telling us that we're not supposed to do anything in public. Which one is it? How do we do this? It seems like Jesus is talking in circles here. So when we look at it, um, one of them is about denying our relationship with Jesus Christ. The other is denying our fellowship with Jesus Christ. So one is saying, I'm embarrassed to be associated with Jesus. And so I hide my light. One is hindering me in my fellowship with Jesus. And so I'm showing everything I'm doing instead of hiding it and wanting his honor and approval. One is saying, 
Am I with Christ? And if so, I don't want to hide that. One is saying, I'm with Christ and I want to have relationship and communion with him and everybody doesn't need to see that aspect of it. Um, First point of application. Are you ready? There's a guy named Alexander Bruce. I came across this uh, quote. It is stellar. Are you ready? He says this, when you're tempted to hide, show. And when you're tempted to show, hide. When you're tempted to hide, how am I supposed to say this? Am I supposed to stand up for Christ here? Am I supposed to make a stand? That's probably a good opportunity for you to show. But when you're tempted to show, look at me, hey, right here hide it's fantastic when i saw that i was like that just makes perfect sense on this deal and we all know don't we you all know in your heart when you're really wanting people to give you an attaboy you all know when you're you're wanting to to hide instead of show your faith and your convictions and what you truly believe we all know that so when you're tempted either way know how to do that um another one would be uh when we get irritated we get frustrated when other people are getting credit for their pious acts maybe their generosity maybe their service and we get irritated and we say why aren't they recognizing me at that point you might want to check your what check your heart because now I'm frustrated and I'm irritated and I'm, I'm getting a little upset that nobody's recognized me and what all I do for Jesus. Start having those thoughts. We need to, at that point say, let me check my heart because I'm being tempted to show and I need to hide. Last but not least, um, we need to put our trumpets down. We need to put our trumpets down. Um... none of us walked in today and blew on this rascal said i'm here right i didn't hear any coming through nobody had drums playing right nobody does that for the most part matter of fact in the text i don't think jesus is referring to anybody that actually did that on a regular basis I think he's trying to show the difference between how ridiculous it would be to blow a horn and say, look at me, as opposed to the secrecy of doing it for God's honor. When I say put your trumpets down, we play this thing secretly and passively, right? Um, And I I can name these because I do them myself, right? We blow the the horn and say stuff like, oh, yeah, I... I'm worn out. Had a had a long weekend. Oh yeah, what happened? Uh, up there serving at the church all all weekend. Long. Man, I I can't get the app to work. Yeah, I'm trying to give. You know, I do that twice a month. Bum ba ba bum. Right. Oh, man, I, I, those teachers, they sure do need a lot of help up at that, that school. Oh, yeah, well, oh, man, I, I've been up there serving and, and helping those teachers left and right. 
right? Yeah. There you go. Right? We do this stuff? No, I never blow it. I, ne- I would never, no, no. There's that approval junkie in us, and we just got to figure out, hey, I got to put this thing down. I got to put it down. Because whatever they just thought about your giving, your service, your whatever, congratulations. There's the reward. Right? Um, Man, as I, I think about our relationship with Jesus Christ, and I think about our fellowship with Him, and we do these acts of piety like worship and pray and fast, and we're generous and the whole host of others, we do them out of reverence and awe and obedience, but we also do them because they draw us closer and closer to the one who loves us and gave his son for us. We do not do this for any other reason. And when we, when we walk that line, when we walk that line, we turn our piety into just opportunities to make much of ourselves. We don't want to be that. Matter of fact, I would venture to say the world has seen enough. The world has seen enough. And I think the world is crying out for some people to be real and to be genuine and to be authentic in their walk with Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Oh, Father, uh, man, it is... Even as I say these words and go over this, it is so clear that my heart is, it is so deceptive. I, I want credit. I want people to, to see. I want people to approve. I, I want applause. I want, I want it. And I'm, my heart is, my heart is just so deceitful, Lord. And so I pray that, um, I know I'm not alone. I pray that as we sing these songs and as we we think about our relationship and our our fellowship with you that we wouldn't turn it toward us, but we would turn it toward you. Um, Lord, we would would somehow be able to delay gratification (laughs) for that day that we stand before you. And we would be able to delay approval till we, we stand before you. Lord, I, I do believe you give us some of that on this end of it. I don't, I don't think it's all in the future, but help me to live as if it is. Um, so yeah, Holy Spirit, do your work. Talk to us. Convict our hearts. Encourage us where we're doing this well. Challenge us where we're doing it poorly. God, as we sing, I I really pray that all of it would be for you and centered to you as we take communion, that it would be centered on you. Yeah, be honored today, Lord. We love you. It's in your son's name. Amen. Thank you.